So today, in the life of our church calendar, is known as All Saints Day. Uh, it's the day uh, where the entire church universal uh, remembers all those ordinary men and women uh, who through the ages have faithfully served God through living uh, their holy lives. It's a reminder that to all of us that we are part of one continuing living communion of saints. And so today, reminded that God was uh, with the faithful of the past, we are actually uh, reassured through this day, through this day of remembrance, that God is with us today as well. And so moving all of us, all of creation toward God's end in time. That's why we take time to do this. Um, and even as we honor the memory of those saints who have, have gone before us, right, we welcome new saints uh, through confessions of faith and through baptism. It's been such a, just an amazing morning. Uh, so I actually just want to do something just to recognize this All Saints Day. And I know that many of you um, have um, had loved ones, family members, people who you know that you have, have, have died in Christ in the last year. Um, and I know it would be really important for you to just spend a moment in silence thanking God for their lives. So I'm just going to invite us into a moment of quiet prayer uh, to give thanks to God for the saints that we know who have died in Christ over this last year and to pray for our own faith. Uh, that we too would be counted as faithful saints uh, here and now. So would you just join me in a moment of, of, of silent prayer? Holy God, may our prayer be one of gratitude and hope as we give thanks for the lives of those who have died, those who uh, are with you in eternity, those who gave their lives for uh, your kingdom here and now. And we pray that uh, this morning in hope that we may be counted among the faithful saints as well. Would you be gracious to us? Would you give us the faith we need? for the work that you've called us to. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been exploring the concept of uh, faithful presence uh, here uh, at Covenant. We've been doing this through the, the life and witness of Daniel and his friends as they've lived out uh, their life in exile in uh, the Babylonian Empire. And one way, uh, maybe if, if you're just kind of joining us, one way of, of summarizing this idea of faithful presence uh, is through what Martin Luther King Jr. said uh, about the church uh, not being the place that you come to, uh, but the place you go from. Uh, that we are called to kind of go uh, from here. This isn't the destination, but this is actually uh, the outpost, the place that we're, that we're sent from. And it's a subtle distinction, but I think that as we see in our text today, when we go uh, from here to the different places that each of us are called, uh, things are not always organized in our life or in the culture around us to make this easy. Right? And, I, and I'm not complaining about just the current arrangement of things like within our own culture. Like, it has never been easy as we'll see today uh, in our text. So uh, we'll be in Daniel 3, verses 13 through 18 today, uh, but we're going to be jumping into the middle of the story, so I just want to kind of tell you what's going on leading up to where we're going to be today. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has uh, made a golden image of himself, and he sets this image up in, in a large plain, and he invites everyone within the kingdom, near and far, to come to a dedication of this 
statute. And uh, at the dedication, he commands everyone who's there to, uh, at the same time, kind of fall and worship this statue. Um, and if they refuse, they will be thrown into this like fiery furnace and killed. So kind of sets the, sets the ultimatum, uh, throws the gauntlet down. Uh, well, apparently in the crowd, right, it's a very large crowd, and uh, there are three young men from Israel who refuse to participate in this. And some of the king's men uh, notice this, and they bring uh, this fact to the attention of the king. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up the story uh, here this morning. So I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are these three uh, young men from Israel, be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, he's going to give them another chance. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the, th- the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? It's a good question. King Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, which is like, this is the greatest response, I think, ever. Uh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. That's how I read it. I don't know the tone. That's how I read it. Oh, king. We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. We have no need. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O oh, king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O oh, king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious God, we are here seeking a word that only you can speak. We are listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I really, really like this story. Uh, And it offers a glimpse of what the faith in faithful presence actually kind of looks like in very concrete terms. I mean, I don't know about you when you read this, but I want this kind of faith. I want this kind of faith for my sons. I want this kind of faith for our church. I want this kind of faith for these these confirmants who have just confessed their faith here today. Uh, As modern people, I think that we have a tendency to think about faith in terms of of belief. We believe in God, or we believe uh, in this or that theological truth. A couple of years ago, I was headed home to Princeton, New Jersey after uh, being in Austin to meet with the, the uh, nominating committee about possibly accepting a job here. We all know that worked out. Uh, and uh, after taking my seat on the airplane next to uh, a woman, uh, she decided to strike up a conversation with me. Listen, there are, there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are people who talk to other people on airplanes, and there, there are normal people. Uh, <laughs> That's my take on this whole thing. Um, so she asked why I was traveling, and uh, you know, I told her uh, that I was here for a possible job. Uh, every time I tell people I'm a minister, it's just a conversation killer. Um, and uh, she asked me what I did, and so I told her I was hoping to become a Presbyterian minister. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget, like, mind you, this is the beginning of a three and a half hour flight. She looks at me and she says, well, I hope you're the right kind of Presbyterian. 
And as soon as she said that, like, I immediately knew I wasn't. <laughs> I had this sinking feeling that I was actually not the right Presbyterian. And it turns out that, that I was right there. Um, and I was really glad for, for headphones. Um, so why, why do I tell this story? It's a really, si really silly, really simple story. But I think that it actually illustrates um, the kind of silly and shallow conversations, um, if we can really call them conversations, we have when we think of safe faith simply in terms of, of belief. Our faith is kind of reduced to being right or, or being wrong. Uh, this concept of faith uh, um, as kind of belief in an idea is certainly as old as Plato, but I think it's, it's picked up considerable steam in the last few hundred years in our modern era after Descartes kind of convinced us that we are what we think. And this understanding of faith, I think, ultimately falls short, not simply because it leads to these kind of silly conversations, gatekeeping about who's right and who's wrong, um, but because God is much more than an idea, right? much more than an idea. And this understanding of faith, I think, also tends to be of very little help to us when we are facing um, crisis or we have a moment of decision. This faith is just kind of a belief in an idea. It's little help to us. So if faith is not about belief, what... What is it about? And I think that a better way to understand faith is uh, the word trust. Um, this is the kind of faith that sustained the people of Israel as they were uh, walking through the wilderness. Uh, this is the kind of faith, I think, that is put on display by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the kind of faith, I think, that Jesus uh, uses as he is in those agonizing moments in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he submits his will to the will of the Father. Right, this, this trust. And I, I, I would imagine that this is the kind of faith that has sustained you in moments of crisis. Uh, it sustains you in periods of doubt. Not belief in an idea, but trust. And what I mean by this is that faith that's understood as trust is a kind of dependence. That, that we're living in a story that God is authoring. And that this story that God is authoring is the only true story about our lives and about the world in which we live. And when we live our faith as trust, I think that we're able to face moments of, of crisis. We're actually able to face these moments of crisis with hope. Because we live not by faith in, in God's intervention, but we actually live by, uh, by faith in God's grace. Even when um, there is no intervention. Right? I think this is, this is the kind of faith that allows someone to say, even if not. Even if not, I'm actually not going to bow down to this idol. From our, our story, we learn, I think, that one indicator of trust faith is a refusal to worship anything but the God in whom one puts their faith, one puts their trust. Um, everybody worships something. Everybody. Uh, nobody gets a pass on this idea uh, of worship. There's no such thing as not worship, worshiping. The only choice we get is what or uh, whom we worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were deeply committed followers of Israel. Right? We've seen this already in the first few chapters of Daniel. And they knew that even in a strange land, that worship of other gods or of idols would betray their faith and ultimately would be a kind of death for them anyway. And I, I think you know, it, it might be hard for us to connect to this story. Like, Surely we're not going to find ourselves anytime soon in a large field, surrounded by strangers, 
being coerced by an emperor to bow down to a statue. But, but we're kidding ourselves if we think that we don't have our own idols that we offer worship to um, in each and every one of our lives. And you worship idols long enough, and soon enough you'll discover that um, if you worship the wrong thing, we get this choice. It's the only choice we get is what to worship, not, not if we worship. And if you choose the wrong thing, it will consume you. Idolatry is, is kind of like death by paper cuts. It takes a long time, but eventually you're going to get there. In his commencement address to Kenyon College years ago, I know I've probably quoted this before, late author and professor David Foster Wallace articulated how worship works. If you're, if you're confused about how this works in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, here's how it works, according to Wallace. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. That's how worship works in the day-to-day -day trenches of our lives. And I think that Wallace is right in his diagnosis that what we worship has the power to change us. That's the power that we give over when we worship. It acts back on us. In the words of the great reformer Martin Luther, wherever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Which means that in a way, the best way to find out what kind of faith you have is not to uh, examine what you believe but to take an inventory of what you worship. Not to examine what you believe, but to take an inventory of what you worship. There are a lot of ways to do this, but I think the, one of the best ways that I know to do it is to ask a question that ancient people asked as well, and that is, uh, what you worship is what you're willing to sacrifice for. What you sacrifice the most time, the most resources, the most energy, the most attention, is likely the object of worship in your life? It's a very simple question. What do you find yourself making the most and significant sacrifices for in your life? That is probably the thing that you desire over all other things. And desire is another word for worship, as is love. So what this story shows is that when the answer to this question is God, right? When the answer to that question is God, whatever belief we have in God, I think, is transformed. It's transformed into this trust faith. And then when that happens, I think that we are able to accept life exactly as it comes at us. Just like our young protagonists in our story from today. And the story ends, as many of you know, with the king throwing them in the furnace. He fires up the furnace, he gets it hotter uh, than it had been. We find that even the soldiers who throw them in the fire are consumed by the flames. Throws them in the fire only to discover that a fourth character has joined them. And though they are burning up, they are somehow not burning away. It's interesting, right, that God does not intervene before they go into the fire. They are saved in the fire. They're not saved from it. Um, 
It's just a fascinating example of God's intervention. And I think that this is true for you and me as well. We are not saved often from things. We are saved in them. And the good news hidden in the story is not that we will avoid pain and suffering as we refuse to worship these idols. Because we believe the right thing. That's not the good news here. The good news in this story is that the one in whom we place our trust will never leave us and will never forsake us. That's the good news of the gospel. We can't help but see in our text this morning a foreshadow of Christ who came to dwell in a chaotic world even to the point of death, not so that we might escape this experience of death, but so that we might have victory over it. And so as a sign of this faithfulness to us, this morning uh, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist. Uh, This is a meal that he gave us to eat in remembrance of all that he accomplished in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. It's a sign of his faithfulness. And it's more than that. It's an invitation for us as we are nourished by these elements for us to actually trust with hope in his coming again to make all things right. So my prayer for you this morning is that may the eating of this bread, the drinking of this cup, transform whatever uh, belief that you have into trust in the one who invites you to this table. Let's pray together. Holy God, on uh, All Saints Sunday, on Confirmation Sunday, what a perfect text for us to reflect upon. To ask serious questions about what kind of faith we have. Whether our faith is, is just simply belief or trust. We pray that you would transform whatever we bring, whatever little faith that we have today into the trust to refuse worshiping anything other than you, knowing that over time it will consume us. Receive our worship, our authentic sacrifice of praise this morning, and return it to us as transformation that we may be the men and women that you've called us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.